are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So if you're an OU fan, you might understand this. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I've never had a significant dream. But last night, I dreamed that I was preaching this morning, and people in the congregation began to chant for a backup preacher. It was rough. Please don't do that to me today. Just bear with me, okay? Hey, um, you know, Annette and I lived in Ohio before moving here, and we were near a little community called Monroe, Ohio. And there was a church there called Solid Rock. And at the Solid Rock Church, they, they erected this statue of Jesus out in front of their church. It was kind of an interesting statue, but, but I brought a picture so you could see what it looked like. This is it right here. And people in the community kind of nicknamed it Touchdown Jesus. Um, the people of the church weren't excited about it being nicknamed Touchdown Jesus, but that's what everybody called it. And uh, something happened. Uh, it's set on I-75, and so millions of cars are passing it every year. But something happened, and this is the result. It was like a, a lightning struck Touchdown Jesus, honestly, and that was what was left. And so this guy created this other statue that he thought would be a little better, and they didn't want the reputation of Touchdown Jesus. And so he created this one, which stands there now. And they call it Hug Me Jesus. And if I was going to name it, it would be Open Arms Jesus. You like that? Yeah, I thought you might love that. It stands 52 feet high. Okay, 52 feet high. Now, you might be aware, because of the area of the country you live in, of the Christ of the Ozarks. That statue of Jesus stands actually 65 feet high. And you might be interested to know what is the tallest statue in the United States of America. Anybody know? Statue of Liberty. 151 feet high. So I think the question is, why? Why statue? And I got a feeling the people back in Monroe, Ohio at the Solid Rock Church would say, well, you know, millions of cars pass our church every year and we want them to see Jesus. And I think maybe that's the same idea of the people who erected the statue in the Christ of the Ozarks. And the Statue of Liberty was a gift from France to the USA to stand for freedom and democracy and liberty. And it's not unusual it's been happening throughout the history of time. In fact, we're in the book of Daniel chapter 3, and there's a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he has a statue built 90 feet high. Christ of the Ozarks, 65. Nebuchadnezzar has a statue 90 feet high. I don't have a picture, of course, of that, but I brought a picture from a children's book that I thought might be helpful just to kind of give you a sense of the vastness of the statue and it was common for ancient kings to say, we're going to create the statue, we're going to have a dedication ceremony, we're going to imply the power of the state, we're going to command that you bow down to the statue, and we're going to show authority over you. And so that's what happens. Chapter 3, Daniel, verse 1. You ready to roll? Here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high. That would be 90 feet, 6 cubits wide. That's 9 feet. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed. So I'm going to proclaim it loudly. You ready? Here we go. 
nations and people of every language. This is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, zither, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. It's kind of drastic, don't you think? And therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everything about the image is a testament of Nebuchadnezzar's wealth and power and control. Because he believed that he was in control. The only problem you have with that kind of thinking is that we introduced a word a couple of weeks ago in the book of Daniel that is running through the book of Daniel, and the word is sovereignty. And that word describes the power of God. When we say we believe that God is sovereign, we are saying that we believe God is ultimately in control. So we don't believe in dualism, that there is God, He is good, and there is evil, and they have equal amounts of power, and on any given day, one or the other might win. No, no, we sung in a song just a few minutes ago, we believe God has no equal. And we believe that God is all-powerful. And so here you have a king who believes he has life and death power over everybody who lives in his domain. But that is not true. God has power over everyone's life and death. And so here's where we kind of land, you and me, on this September Sunday morning in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Will I remain faithful in my worship of God regardless of my circumstances? It's the question that three Hebrew young men had to answer. So when they're living in Jerusalem in the city of God, <laughs> born of royal birth, young men of nobility, life is good. I'm going to be faithful to God. Why would I not be faithful to God? Look at all that God has given me. But one day, they're taken from their homes, and they're hauled off to Babylon, and they become hostages. And now the question is, am I going to be faithful to God? See, here's what I'm talking about for you and me. I think here's what it looks like in our lives. When life is good, life is good. Hey, life's good. Money's good. Family's good. Health is good. The kids are good. I mean, look at my life, how good my life is. Why would I not worship and honor God who has given me all of this good stuff? Right? But what about when the money goes south? And somebody in our family gets a really, really, really bad diagnosis from the doctor. Or when tragedy strikes. And all of a sudden with one of our kids, it's not good. 
then we have to answer the question, am I going to be faithful to God? So just a side note before I continue to read more Scripture, Daniel is not present. We really don't know where Daniel is, but you're not going to hear his name in the story. It's about his three friends. So some people say maybe he was away on business. Some think maybe he was in Branson for the weekend, but we don't know where he was. We just don't know where Daniel was. That joke will not be told again. That's it. I'm done. So here's what happens. We go from bad to worse. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Here's what they said. O king, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Now what he's saying is that, you know, last week in chapter 2, they all got promoted to big jobs. Maybe they got promoted over us. It's jealousy. Is that what's going on? Some Jews whom you've set uh, over the affairs in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, this is their Babylonian names. Who pay no attention to you, your majesty. Well, what do you mean they pay no attention to me? And here's what they say. Well, they neither serve your gods and gods what else, nor do they worship the image of gold that you've set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. We're all good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then... What God will be able to rescue from my hand? And what he's saying is, I'm the most powerful man in the world. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. It's just not going to happen. Annette and I had little girls years ago, and we were pastoring one of our first churches, and we were living on a very, very strict, tight budget, and we were writing down everything that we spent. And for us, a vacation was going either to my parents' house or her parents' house or her aunt and uncle's house. But this time we planned an actual vacation. We went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? Okay, Gatlinburg. So we're in Gatlinburg and we're loving it. Our little girls are having fun. They're riding rides. They're doing everything you can imagine. They're just thinking it's Disneyland. They don't know any different. Don't tell them, okay? We wanted to stay longer, but we knew in our hearts that it wasn't in the budget. And so we're walking down the street one day saying, should we? No, we shouldn't. And all of a sudden, a guy yells at us from a little booth, Hey, let me talk to you a minute. And we just kind of wave him off. He's peddling something. We're not going to talk to him. And he says, Would you like to spend a couple more nights in Gatlinburg on us? And we thought, It's from heaven. You know, how did he know? He read our minds. You know, what we're thinking. And so he explains it's a timeshare. You sit through a presentation. That's all. You're not obligated to do anything. And so we decided it's worth it. And so we set through the presentation. We come to the end, and he says, does this sound like something you would like to do? And we said, no, we don't want to. We don't have the money. If we had the money, we still wouldn't. And we do not love our little girls enough to secure great vacation memories for them the rest of their lives. 
He says, okay, no problem. I'll go check with my supervisor and we'll wrap this up and get you out of here. He comes back and he's got a big smile on his face and he's shaking his head. Kind of a charming guy and he says, I don't know what it is about you guys, but um, I, I like you. You've kind of drawn me in. And uh, I was telling my supervisor, and although he hasn't met you, um, he said just by looking out the window, he could see the same thing. And so we want to give you another chance. And he writes down a number on a piece of paper that is just a fraction of the earlier number to purchase this vacation timeshare opportunity. And he slides it across the table and he says, just because we like you, and I can't believe we're doing it, we're going to give it to you at this price. And we said, we still won't do it at this price, and we don't love our girls enough to secure vacation memories for them for the rest of our lives. It's one of those second chances you really don't want, right? Do you understand it's the same scenario that we find in the book of Daniel? King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? I like you boys. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I'm kind of drawn into you. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to play the music again just for you boys. We're going to fire up the imperial orchestra. And when we do, all you have to do is get on your knees in front of this golden image and worship it and bow down. And we're all good. You're good. We're good. Everybody's good. We're going to go home good. But if you don't, we're going to burn you boys alive. And I love their response. We don't need to defend ourselves, King. In other words, we don't even need to respond or answer you. Because before we were summoned to come and see you, our minds and our hearts were already made up. We're not going to dishonor God or break his commands. In fact, before we got out of bed this morning, our minds and our hearts were made up. We're not going to dishonor God. In fact, years ago, we made a decision. Our minds and our hearts have been made up for a long time. We're not going to dishonor God or break his commands. It's not going to happen. So we talk about, I don't want to just get by in life. I don't want to just live it and then die and that's it. I want to thrive. I want my life to count big. I want to be a person of faith. I want to live strong. And I think in these stories we find clues of how do we move from just getting by, just surviving to thriving. And here's the one I want to give you out of this story, okay? It's, it's to honor God's commands. You know what? God gave us really clear information in his word about how he wants us to live our lives. And I don't care what you say, we're going to honor God's commands. Now, you may say, what do you think they, they mean when, 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 when they're going to honor and keep God's commands. So if we go back to the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus chapter 20, what is the first commandment? I'll just kind of do like this and you can shout it out. You ready? Number one says, no other gods before me. Do you remember what number two is about? Number two says, Hey, way to go. Way to yell it out from the back, too. I love it. Okay? So here's what we're going to do, King. We're just going to tell you right now. We are not going to serve your gods because we will have no other gods before us. We're not breaking number one. And number two, we are not going to bow down no matter what happens and worship that golden image because we are not going to make and worship an image. Number one and two are not going to be broken today. Not here, not now. No way. It's not going to happen. We're going to honor God. 
He's able to save us. And he may. He may not. But if you get us to the edge of that furnace, we're not giving in. We're not going to serve your gods, and we're not going to worship that image. It's not going to happen. Here's what the bottom line is. It's the question I ask you. Their faithfulness to God was not dependent on their circumstances or the situation they found themselves in that moment. Their faithfulness to God was not dependent on what was happening that day. Bottom line, we made up our minds a long time ago, I'm going to be faithful. If I'm tempted to cheat, it's not going to happen. If somebody of the opposite sex winks at me, they can wink away. If I'm tempted to steal, not today, it's not going to happen. I made up my mind, I made up my heart a long time ago. The course has been set for my life. I'm going to keep God's commandments. And what they were trying to say was, oh, king, I want you to hear us right now, okay? When the whole nation is on its knees worshiping that giant statue, the children of God are going to be on our feet. Not going to happen. What about the name John Cavanaugh? Does it ring a bell with you, anybody, John Cavanaugh? John Cavanaugh was a Jesuit priest. He has actually passed away. He was a professor of philosophy at St. Louis University, one of the great Catholic universities in the nation. He's a little bit popular because he tells a story about being with Mother Teresa. In 1975, when training for the priesthood, he knew that he had to spend one year in prayer, service, and humble ministry. Prayer, service, humble ministry. And so he gets on a plane and he flies to India. When his supervisor said, John, where are you going to spend your service and humble ministry? He wrote Mother Teresa and said, could I come to Calcutta and spend a month with you at your home for the dying? Home for the dying. And she said, yes. She established a facility where she would go out onto the streets of Calcutta and find people who were dying. She would pick them up. She would carry them back to the home for the dying so that they could die around people who loved them and cared for them and die in dignity. And so John Cavanaugh spent a month washing, giving baths, bathing people at the home for the dying and feeding them. He comes near the end of his time. And he says to Mother Teresa, I'm conflicted in my spirit. I don't know whether I should go back to the States and prepare to be a professor or if I should stay abroad and serve the poor. Would you pray for me? And she said, John, why do you want me to pray? And he said, well, pray for clarity so I'll know what I should do. Pray for clarity. And she said, no. I won't pray for clarity. <laughs> he said, you, you've always been clear about what you should do, about what God wanted from you. I'm, I'm just asking to have what you have, clarity. And she said, John, I've never had clarity. 
I've only had trust. I will pray that God will give you the ability to trust Him. I think it's the, the second thing that I would point out. If you want to move from just getting by to thriving, I think you have to come to this place where you trust God with your future. I'm not going to wring my hands about what's going to happen to me. It's in God's hands. I'm not going to wring my hands about what someone might do to me. My life's in God's hands. I believe that God is sovereign. Do you know what these young men were really saying? My life is not in the hands of that king. He thinks he holds the power of life and death. He does not. God does. And ultimately, my life is in the hands of God. And so I think this kind of brings you and I back to this place of having this brief conversation again where we say, how do we view our relationship with God? Do I see God as someone that I pray to and my whole process goes like this? God, I want you to come through for me in a major way today. And if you don't, Houston, we're going to have a problem. It's not going to be okay. Or do I say I ask because God gives me permission to ask, but ultimately my life, it's all in God's hands. It's up to God. And I trust God with my future. As hard as it is to do, I trust Him with my future. Could we talk for just maybe a couple of minutes, because that's all we have left, about the difference of getting through and getting around? Nett and I were in the car not long ago. We're on the interstate. We're on a long trip already. We don't want to make the trip longer by setting in traffic. And man, we, we, we are just zooming along, and all of a sudden, it is brake lights everywhere, and the interstate is a parking lot. You know, nobody's moving. And we're like, oh my goodness, we've run into an accident, traffic, road work, something. We don't want to do this. Good for us, there was an exit right there. And that says, get off the exit. I get off the exit. She's on her phone. She says, we can get around this. Go up here, turn right. Then you're going to, and what we did was we just bypassed all of that, all of that traffic and all of that waiting. You know why we went around it? Because we didn't want to go through it. Here's what hurts. Today I'm praying for many of you who are going through it. You're going through sickness. You're going through a heartbreak, a heartache. You're going through tragedy. You're going through a struggle, a family crisis. And going around it is not an option. Do you understand these three young men went through the fire? What? He, he didn't keep them from going through the fire? No. 
They went through it. That's the myth. If I serve God, if I love Him, if I do what's right, God's going to keep me out of the fire. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm showing up at church on a pretty regular basis. Every time, you know, it's time to walk out the doors and the connect and offering boxes there. I give them a little, a little bump. Finding a place to serve. I mean, isn't that enough to keep me from going through the fire? Here's the truth. God promised us he would be present in the fire. Never promised you I'd keep you out of the fire. I just told you I'd be with you in the fire. And hasn't he been? You might say, where's Jesus? Every time we do these Daniel sermons, where's Jesus in all this? Well, John 1 tells me that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus has always been. And I love the way this story ends. Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the furnace. The fire was so hot, he was so urgent about his command that they were burned up trying to throw them into the fire. The soldiers were. He looks into the fire and he says, wait, wasn't there three? Yes, your majesty, there was three. No, 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 I see four. And one of them looks like a son of the gods. You understand that Jesus came to those three Hebrew young men and he said I'm not going to let you walk in the fire alone I'm going to walk with you see that's been my story has that been your story yeah people who have suffered way more than I'll ever suffer gone through way more than I will ever go through experienced more loss than I will ever experience in my life have said to me Pastor Rick Sometimes with tears in their eyes, he has been with me every step of the way. Not one day have I ever walked alone. My Brittany, my oldest daughter who is now 20, 30, I don't know, how old is she, Annette, 32, sends me a text a few weeks ago. And she says, Daddy, you've got to listen to this song. I love it so much. If you haven't heard it, listen now. It reminds me of how God has been with us all along the way. And so I want you to hear the song this morning. It's called Fires. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org